couple announcements I want to make you aware of. Uh, we're in the book of Hebrews, as we've been studying through this great letter. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, or you can open your electronic device. If you don't have a Bible, you guys know the routine, we'll be happy to let you borrow one. You just have to raise your hand high in the air, and the guys will bring a Bible to you so you can follow along with us. Man, I had every intention to try to finish out the chapter as I uh, was outlining this coming week, and I didn't get there. So uh, it's just so good as uh, we've been making our way through Hebrews. Hopefully you've been encouraged, that even that you've enjoyed our time studying this great letter. And so we're going to be looking at verses 26, and I think the overhead's is to 31, but... Uh, I'm actually going to, we're only going to get to 30. I'm going to park 31 and tie it into next week's message. Uh, that verse in itself uh, deserves some attention. So 26 to 30 this morning, I entitled our time, our message this morning, Mind Your Heart. Mind Your Heart. All right, if you're there with me, I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of God and His Word. I'll read these verses aloud. You can follow in your, in your Bibles. The author tells us or writes, For if we sin willfully, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on that verse. It's, uh, it has some shock value. He goes on to say, But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and the fiery indignation which will devour the adversary." Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy of or worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. In verse 31, although we won't get there this morning, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All right, we're going to pause there. Uh, let's pray. Father, we humble our hearts before you this morning really in just adoration, in awe, Lord, in, in obedience, in love, to come into that sobering reminder of your greatness and goodness, of your majesty, that you are the creator of all the universe. Lord, you, you, you fashioned the world. You spoke things into existence. And, and yet, amazingly, incredibly, you invite us to come before you. You allow us to have this, this privilege and access that we can even be bold to come into your presence. Not on the basis of who we are, what we've done, but completely on the basis of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Lord, thank you. And Father, I, I imagine we, we come this morning with various things that are on our heart and mind, worries and frustrations, plans and prayers. Lord, we want to submit those things to you and trust that you are our good counselor. And that, Lord, there are things that you want to speak to our heart this morning, even through this passage. And though it has a particular direction and and message, Lord, we trust that even through that, there are things that, Lord, you'll reveal, that you'll speak, that you'll comfort. Lord, you'll even convict us. And so, God, we, we pray that really we just surrender our heart afresh and anew to you. Have your way. And Lord, allow us to respond as your spirit speaks, as he prompts us. And so we give you this time this morning. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we ask and pray these things together. Amen. 
Amen. All right, would you take a moment and say hello to someone, and then you may have a seat. Elena, any day now? What's your due date? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. All right. So Michelle, who else is medical here? Make sure you keep your eye on Elena. All right. Well, we've come to a section of Hebrews that, as I mentioned, if you read verse 26, it, uh, it can cause someone to question what we just read. And in fact, this passage and the verses that follow, and there's others like it. We've covered Hebrews 6 before. We'll get to another later on in 10 and actually in 12 as well, where it, it, it causes some confusion as we read it and try to understand it, and even some consternation. You know, it can be upsetting. But I, I want to encourage you that it doesn't, that doesn't have to be the case for us. I really believe as we study the Scripture in the way that we do so, systematically, taking a book and going through it from chapter to chapter and verse by verse and line upon line and precept upon precept, that as we consider this text within the proper context, I do believe that by the Spirit of God we can understand and, and we can apply the points that the Spirit intended. Now, we've noted before that throughout this entire letter, uh, it, it, there, there's this peppering, if you will, uh, from time to time to the Hebrew Christians, there, there are words of warning. There's a lot of encouragement, but there's also some stern warnings. And this letter is not uh, a light and fluffy letter. <laughs> Uh, it's not a feel-good kind of letter. I mean, there, there are times where this letter can be tough for us at times. Tough, you know, there, there are some, some um, truths that we've encountered that have been hard to grasp, it, and there are also some hard truths uh, that have just grabbed us. And so balanced with these cries of continue and just press on, uh, they're, they're, they're countered with calls of caution. And such is the case for this morning. We don't have to get very far until we bumped into one. It's in chapter 2, verse 1, where the writer tells us that therefore we must give more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, and the warning is, lest we drift away. Another one was found in chapter 3. Beware, brethren lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief. Not that you would drift, he says, but to depart from the living God. And even later on in chapter 6, where he says, let's show the same diligence. Though we respond in grace, there is a part for us where we still strive to enter the rest. And he said, hey, make sure that you're not like our, our ancestors who just wandered around, but let's show the same diligence so that we don't become sluggish or lazy. And so we have these warnings, and, and warnings are good for us. Just in general life, well, you know, warnings are good. They, they keep us away from danger. They keep us from places or things that could harm us. The other day we had gotten to go to Sam's by the Sea, and you guys ever been there? There's a parrot, I think, or a parakeet. I, don't, I, I took a picture, but I forgot to post it. But if you go there, there's this parrot outside, and, it, and, it, and it, there's a caution sign. Basically, it just says, uh, the, like, don't put your finger in here. It'll bite you. And so I was like, hey, Christy, try, try. Let's see. You know, you know. <laughs> Warnings are good for us. Not only they keep us from harm and places of harm and things of harm, but they also help us to take inventory at times, to, to be prepared at times. I, I am very grateful living here in Okinawa that we have the, the typhoon warning system. And so when that thing goes off, we know, oh man, there's an incoming storm and it helps us to prepare. Go get the essentials and batteries and candles and candies and chips and board games and water, you know, all of the things that you need to survive these storms. 
Sometimes warnings can be scary, and other times they can be silly, seemingly silly. You get your attention. I, I found a few warnings I thought were kind of interesting and just uh, took a few from the Internet. And so here's one, you know, make sure you watch your kids. If not, then this will happen. <laughs> kind of fun. This one was interesting. It's at a laundromat, so if you can't read it, it says, high, speed, high spin speeds, do not put any person in this washer. That's a good warning for us. Oh, that was a good one. In case of fire, can you guys read that? Exit building before tweeting about it. All right. There you go. So, if you can see this one. Uh, this activity involves using a hot iron, and it goes on to say adults should be, you know, supervised or do this, and it says do not iron while wearing shirt. So that's... Can you guys see that in the back? You guys are good? All right. That's a funny one, right? Instant death. All right. So we'll pause there for a second. So uh, in England, actually it's also in Hong Kong, uh, you know, boarding, before boarding the train or the subway, there, there's that sign that says, mind the gap. It's kind of an interesting phrase. But basically what it just means is there's that gap between the platform and the train, and, and the idea is to be careful of it. And so from time to time over the announcements, you'll hear a lovely voice that just says, you know, mind the gap, mind the gap. Um, and so that's where that phrase comes from. Uh, I was, uh, actually, I think it was in Taiwan or Hong Kong, and uh, I found a similar sign, and the sign read, uh, mind your head. And uh, it was this escalator coming down, it had a low overhang, and so just the warning was there. Very practically, right, just to keep you from whacking your head. And so warnings are good for us. And, and we get to the scripture, and, and God gives us warnings as well. And they are intended to keep us from harm. They are intended to keep us from tripping up in our Christian walk and designed the same to keep us on the right path. They help to prepare us for coming storms of our life. It's here in section, this section of chapter 10 where we come to a strong warning. It is a call to caution. It's a word of warning. It's one that calls us to examine and evaluate where we stand in the Lord. And, and if I had to put a caption over this section, it would be what I entitled our message this morning, Mind Your Heart. It's a type of spiritual self-check, I think, that can be and, and is good for all of us and good to do from time to time. So this morning, I, I want to do my best to unpack these verses. We'll spend the bulk of our time on verse 26 so that we don't misunderstand and to look at what it's not saying and hopefully then to uh, consider the proper context so that we can understand what it is saying and then apply that truth to our lives today. What did it mean for the original audience? And then what does it mean for us today? Verse 26, for if we sin willfully, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, the writer says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. As I mentioned earlier, this verse has caused trouble for some because to read it as a standalone verse, uh, it, it indicates some troublesome things. Again, and I think a big part of why people have a problem with it, it is because they take this text and pull it out of its context. And, and, and when we do that, when we pull text out of context, there is a danger. It often does lead to a misunderstanding and a misinterpretation, and often does lead to wrong teaching about it. And so I want to make sure that we, as we read it, understand, and there are two settings that this verse finds itself in that we, we can't ignore. And the first is just Hebrews in itself. The, the fact of, of the theme of the letter and what the writer was intending for the original audience, and then specifically in chapter 10, what, what has he been talking about in chapter 10? And then secondly, just the greater setting of the New Testament writing in itself. 
even the entirety of the Bible in itself, especially when we begin to talk about the idea of what happens if we sin or when we sin. What does the Bible say? What does other verses have to say about when we sin and if we sin? And so we have to consider this text in its proper context. And by the way, as a bonus point, can I just say, it's just good practice for us. As we read the Scripture, as we seek to understand what does God mean by this, to ask the question, what is the context of this? What is the context of this verse or this section in, in its entirety, in the rest of the letter, in the theme of the letter? Because it is cults and false teachers and teachings that will say, well, look, it, it's a verse in the Bible. It, you can, here's a scripture, so it must be true. But often what they do is they'll completely ignore the entire chapter or they'll ignore the entire book that it's found in or the whole section. And they'll just ignore that and pull it out of context. So again, we have to be careful with that. What, what is the context then that we find this verse in? It's going to be a review for many of you, so just bear with me. Remember that the writer has been writing to Christians who... In the first century, they came out of Judaism. They were Jewish Christians, hence the book Hebrews. And so they were at one time under the law of Moses, culturally, religiously. And they came to believe that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, their Savior. And so they left Judaism, their old religion, and they began to walk and follow and and learn more and more about faith in Jesus Christ. And so all of the Old Covenant, the priests and the practices, the ceremonies and the rituals, all of that they, they left. But as we've mentioned before, and we'll see a little bit even uh, in the, the rest of chapter 10, they were coming under a lot of pressure. And there was this great temptation then for them to return back to the old life. They were, there was pressure externally, their family, their friends, society, who they worked with, who they went to high school with, you know, the culture around them, all of it was geared towards the, the old way. So they were then tempted internally. Their desire, they had this the struggle, they wanted to alleviate some of that family pressure, some of the peer pressure they're experiencing. Imagine they wanted to escape the stress and the struggles that came with that. This daily life of people saying, why are you doing that? Why don't you come back? Why are you following Jesus? And so the author was reminding them, no, this is all part of God's design. Even the Old Testament and even the Old Covenant. But it's closed now. The old way of worship, it's dead. And he told them it, it, can't, it could not change your heart. It had no power. It couldn't affect or impact anything. Oh, it was great at showing us how bad of a sinner we were. That was the intent of it. It was great to remind us constantly that you are a sinner. That the reminder was there all the time. And at best, it provided a temporary covering. But as soon as you and I messed up, as soon as we sinned again, well, guess what? Back to the temple you went. You grabbed a goat, you grabbed a sheep, you got in line, you confessed your sin, you made your offering went back home, riding your donkey, someone cut you off, oh no, there you go. Grab another sheep, get back in line, and the cycle just continued. It was spiritual groundhog day. And so the writer's been explaining all of that. It says that the old covenant's symbolic. It was a temporary provision until the real thing was to come and the real thing has come. Jesus has come. 
and he fulfilled the law. And because he has, he paid off it all that that old contract has been satisfied. And because it's satisfied, it's null and it's void. It no longer uh, stands you know, effective. Jesus, because of who He is and what He's done, it's a fresh and new and living and dynamic way that we can come to God now. And we enter in, you know, not through a priest, not through an intermediate, not through this, this veil that had, uh, you know, uh, increasing restrictions. We, we get to come through Jesus, who says all can come and any can come, and yet He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can only come through him. And so his conclusion then is because of everything that Christ has done, therefore then let us draw close. Let us hold fast to our faith. Let us continue to encourage one another. And then he adds, but if we then sin willfully, If we then sin willfully. So we wanted to make sure we understood the context first. To understand how that then statement ties to the other ones. And it'll help us to understand then what he means and how it applies the words in these phrases. So what does the author then mean if we sin willfully? I want to suggest to you that he doesn't depart from the topic of the old covenant versus the new covenant, of the priesthood uh, of you know under Aaron versus the priesthood of Jesus, he's not all of a sudden now making some some shocking comments about the believer who now sins, and if we sin, then guess what? Well, there's no longer a sacrifice for that, because other passages make it very clear that even as believers, even as Christians. You named the name of Jesus Christ this morning. We who have been forgiven, guess what? We still sin. Newsflash. <laughs> and yes, we still sin willfully. Is that surprising anybody? Anyone here still sin? You're willing to admit it? Half of us. All right, you guys are awesome. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I got to watch my heart often. You're posting some of the places that you're going. Oh man, Lord, I don't want to get jealous of that. You know, I use the analogy of you know people getting cut off in their donkeys because I, I can get pretty sour in traffic. <laughs> I mean, just last night we had made reservations for some friends to get to this restaurant. I show up 45 minutes early, and, and the person says, "Sorry, we're full." I'm like, "You're kidding me! I called you earlier." And, oh man. I wanted to flip over tables, but it was a yakiniku place. They're all bolted down, so, you know. <laughs> I still fight my flesh, and so do you. And so does the Apostle Paul, by the way. Right? We're in good company. He says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying, worthy of acceptance. Christ came into this world to save sinners, and he says, and I am the chief. John the Beloved says, if we claim to be without sin, here's what he says, you deceive yourself. The truth's not in us, 1 John 1.8. And so we have to understand, what is he talking about then? If we sin willfully. Well, that's all of us. So let's establish what this verse does not mean. It does not mean that if you've sinned, and even if you've sinned on purpose, that somehow now you have disqualified yourself from grace. Now you, you forfeited your reservation in heaven. Please understand, that is not what God is saying here. And that is, you know, it's not that God gave you one shot and you blew it. As though... The grace in which we've come to the Lord, all of a sudden, now that you're in the body of Christ, He switches the deal on you. 
He says, okay, here you go. You got one ticket and one ticket only and one shot and one shot only. And the day that you blow it, he's like, all right, hand over your ID. You're done. You're out. Man, can you imagine if that was the gospel? (laughs) who, Who would make it? No one. No one. Well, maybe some of you, those of you didn't raise your hand. Right? You know. And some of you, man, I, I envy you because you're, you're, you know, just, you're not as a big sinner as I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm Jill. I'm looking at you. So angelic, right? But some of you, no way, I know. No way you wouldn't last. Evan, John, I know. No way. You're with me. And so I'm so glad, you too, Renee, I'm so glad <laughs> that that this is not what it means. I mean, not only of New Testament believers, but I mean, even think about the Old Testament. Sometimes we have the wrong idea to think like God in the Old Testament is this angry, you know, wrath-breathing God, ready just to pour out wrath on everybody and everything. Now consider the life of King David. It's a beautiful, powerful story of God's grace. He blew it big time. He sinned horribly. I mean, adultery and murder and plotting. I mean, just, and yet God forgave him. Even to the point where the Lord says, he is a man after my own heart. And the Lord restored him. And gang, the same is true for us as well. As David then cries out to God, recognizes his failure and his sins, and Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. As he confessed and he repented, oh, the Lord does the same. God is a God who forgives our sins. Before we come to the Lord, he offers forgiveness, and we come to the Lord, every day his mercies are new. If we blow it and we blow it and we blow it, listen, the Lord's grace abounds. I quoted you 1 John 1, 8 earlier. 1 John 1, 9 goes on to say, so 1 John 1, 8 says, you know, if you say you have no sin, John says, you're, you're mistaken, horribly mistaken, you're deceived. The truth is not in you. So we have to say, okay. But he goes on to say, then if and when we sin, guess what? As we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's our spiritual soap. 1 John 1, 9. Later on in 1 John 2, 1, he writes, My dear children, I, I write this to you so that you won't sin. He doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't say, okay, yeah, just go ahead and sin. He says, but if anyone does sin, if we do sin, Guess what? We have an advocate. We have an intercessor with God the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. And so again, let's understand in context what this verse is not saying. It's not saying that once you've sinned, you've come to faith, that all of a sudden you're out on some technicality. What does he mean? Well, part of this we have to understand and try to define what does it mean then have received the knowledge of truth? If we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Some will point to this and say, listen, that's talking about believers in Christ. We as believers, we're the ones who've received the knowledge of truth. And and I would say, yes, that is true. We've received the knowledge of truth, truth, but that's not exclusively true. We've already seen how he's talked about and addressed others. Those who were, if you will, in church, who had a head knowledge, but they hadn't been moved in their heart. They were curious. They were intrigued about this thing called Christianity. They were hearing about how the blood of the Lamb of God would take away sins more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats. And so there was a a mixed group. And and, and of course, in that context, 
those who have received the knowledge of truth, isn't just only the believers. I mean, even the Bible tells us even the demons believe. Even the demons know what is true. Even the devil knows what is true, but he's not saved. A person can hear and understand the truth of the gospel and process it intellectually, have understanding in their mind, and yet still remain unmoved in their heart. We find those examples both in the New Testament. And in fact, the writer uses the Old Testament as an example to make that point earlier. Back in chapter 4, he says to, the, he says to them, let's fear God. To understand that God doesn't play games. And he adds this qualifier, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. That you stop short of entering into the promises of the Lord. He says, for indeed, the gospel was preached to them just as it was to us. But the word that they heard, he said, it did not profit them. It did not benefit them. Why? Do you remember the rest of that verse? Because they did not mix it with faith. So he's already given us an example of those who have received, they've heard the truth, they know the truth, and yet they're still not saved. Back in chapter 6, we talked about this in detail. It's impossible, he says, for those who have tasted the good word of God. They've, they've experienced the power of God, the moving of God, the powers of the age to come. And he adds that very curious phrase, and if they fall away. And so there is such a thing to understand the gospel, to intellectually understand the words that we read and yet still not be changed in your heart. To, to even deny it and to refuse it. And I'm going to say this in love, that's a very precarious place to be. This is God's warning. Now, in context, I do believe it is for those who have heard and yet have remained unmoved in their heart. But as, in, as is true with most Bible principles that we come to, there is something here for all of us, even the believer, that it's intended for anyone who is listening. And here's the point we can make together. It is God's strong warning to us to check our hearts. To take spiritual inventory and to ask yourself, where are you at with Jesus Christ today? And that's a good question to ask. And it's a good question for us to answer. You know, the older I get, the more, the more health checkups I go to. And it's this funny thing, the older I get, the, my conversations tend to be about doctor visits and the medicine that I'm taking. <laughs> I'm grateful here in Japan because after you turn 40, uh, they start sending you these uh, coupons for this thing called Ningen Doku, like it's basically an annual health checkup. And then they add these additional things. You know, you check other parts of your, you know, uh, for boy parts and girl parts and, you know, your head and all these things. And so I go to those things. And it's good for me to get a read on what's going on on the inside. Well, about a decade ago, I think I've shared this before, I, I was having these chest pains. And so... I'd gone to the doctor because, uh, you know, they're increasing. And so I had these tests and a battery of tests, uh, even to the point where they made me drink this stuff. And then they actually in, they strapped me down and injected me with some... I thought it was going to be the super soldier serum. I was going to, you know, wake up looking like Evan, one of the Evans. But uh, anyway, let's check my heart. And so I, I go to meet with my doctor after all of these tests, and 
my doctor at that time said, Barnetto, son, and she puts up the picture and she says, you have a beautiful heart. <laughs> oh, I love that. I hold on to that. I'm like, yes, I'm going to tell my wife and everybody, you know. <laughs> so last year, <laughs> I go back to the doctor and I have the scans and I go see my new doctor and he says, Barnetto, son, you have a heart. <laughs> I'll take it, you know. It's good for us to check our hearts, our spiritual hearts. Gang, where, where are you at with the Lord today? How's your walk? What's really going on? The, the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit of God, has already told us that if you continue to hear the Word of God, if you continue to hear God's love and God's grace and God's mercy, that God loves you and He has forgiven you, that He has provided a way for you, that our old life is lifeless, it's not life-giving at all. And so why would we try to find life in dead things? that we can come by the grace of God into His family, that He has done everything for you, and you can find forgiveness and peace and identity, that you can come as you are. If you and I continue to hear this, and yet we resist that, we refuse that, we reject that, the writer's already told us, be careful because you then will experience a type of, of, what's the word I'm looking for? Carthus, is that What's hardening? Catharsis? Is that the right? I'll just say hardening. I'll figure it out second service. You will experience a hardening of your heart. A hardening of your, of your arteries, if you will, spiritually speaking. Remember? He quotes over and over again. He says, today is the day of salvation. And if you've heard his voice, do not harden your heart. Four times he quotes that verse. Do not harden your heart. Today if you hear his voice. And so that is a plea. And that, by the way, is the plea today. If you have yet to surrender, if you have yet to Come to the Lord confessing your sins and your need for a Savior. Today is a day that you can do that. To confess really just means you agree with what God has already declared. I am a sinner. I've blown it. God is good. I'm not. God loves me. And I want to turn from that sin and I want to turn to God, turn to Jesus Christ, and by faith say, yes, Lord, I believe in you. Today is the day that you can do that. And to enter into a real relationship with the Lord. And so yes, it's a warning for those who have heard the truth and yet they keep on living in a life of sin. Hearing and yet refusing. It's also a warning for those who have made a, a, a profession at one time and yet, there's no real fruit in your life. The idea of, of sinning willfully or willfully sinning, it's the idea of a continual, habitual practice of sin. Not just from time to time as you and I do. That happens. But it's the idea that you're just in a lifestyle of that. And it is specifically then to reject and refuse and deny the Lord by your very life. See, people make professions of faith often. And, and yet, they're not truly in possession of it. I mean, is it possible to say that someone knows Jesus and yet really doesn't? Yeah. That's scary, but yes. And again, there's other passages that support that. Titus describes them. 
In Titus 1, 15 and 16, he says, they profess to know God. They make a profession. He says, but or yet in their works, in their lifestyle, in their habitual things that they do, he says, they deny him. They make a profession and yet by their very life, they deny him. Those are sobering words, he says, and being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work, Titus 1.16. Jesus says something very similar and very sobering. It's recorded in Matthew 7 for us. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. And so there is this idea we make a profession, we make a confession, and we live in that. We continue in that. It's not a one time thing. And then go live as you want. He says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons, done many things? And yet I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so even Jesus says, a true believer will be known along with the things that they do, but also a genuine faith in the Lord in their heart. The idea that if there's a true root in Christ, that there's going to produce in our lives true fruit. And they go together. See, it's not just a profession, a confession. You said a prayer, you raised a hand, you came forward one Easter, and all of a sudden you just live as you want. Be careful. And nor is it just doing things and going through the motions and yet really have nothing going on on the inside. Both of those things are, are equally precarious. Where it just becomes works-based and religious and it's just as though faith in Christ just becomes a checklist for you. Be careful. Those two things need to go together. It's great if you've raised your hand, you made a profession, you prayed a prayer. You know, sometimes, oh, you mean go man, that's not my note. Sometimes you hear other uh, pastors or preachers, and some are pretty well known, and, and they will. I think they have good intentions to to challenge us to consider really our walk with the Lord. But what I think often happens is they will discount how we came to faith and how we came to Christ. And they focus kind of on that part. Like, oh, you can't just say, I accepted Jesus in my heart. That, you know, as though if you said that all of a sudden now that disqualifies you. I disagree with that. I think it's not so much the words that you say, and it's probably another message at another time. I even think all oh, the Bible gives us that same verbiage, right? To believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you and in your heart. Like We understand that Jesus doesn't literally take residence. In our, that's not we go take an x-ray. Like, there he is. Look at Jesus. There's Jesus. But they often will disparage just the verbiage. And I think, okay, that, that, you're, the focus is a little wrong. Like, challenge the walk. Not the words. Well, it's good to be challenged in our walk. And I think that's what the writers do. Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself. Examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. And next week we'll talk about some of the ways that we can be challenged. Some of the ways that we can be tested. Because he's going, on, he's going to go on to talk about how they were tested. And how they proved to be genuine. And it was hard though. You know, sometimes being in the will of God is hard. <laughs> to be in the will of God doesn't mean life is going to be great all the time. You read the rest of the chapter. We'll get there next Sunday. 
And they were in, in need of endurance. But back in, again, what I was quoting from 2 Corinthians, he says, examine your, test yourself, he goes on to say. Test yourself to see if, if Jesus Christ is really your Savior. If you're really living for the Lord. And he even goes on to say, because some have failed that test. I mean, even Paul the Apostle talks about taking own, his own spiritual inventory of his life. To that same church, he, he was talking about our faith and he likened it to running a race, which the writer of Hebrews is going to do as well. And so that's why some believe it might even be the Apostle Paul. That we're to press on, we need endurance. And, and so Paul, in that passage in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, but I discipline my life, I discipline my body, and I bring it into submission to the Lord. He says, lest I have preached to others, I myself am disqualified. What does that mean? That means he, he, he took spiritual inventory. And so the knowledge of the truth is referring to, I believe in context, all of what chapters 1 through 10 have been telling us as the writer's been laying it out, to know that the old way is obsolete and that the only option that remains for a person to truly be forgiven of their, of their sins is to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That you believe that Jesus lived and died for you, your sins, hung on a cross for your sins and mine. He died and He rose again. You believe that. That is how you receive forgiveness. There is then there remains no other sacrifice for sin. And so what does verse 26 then mean by context and practice? The writer's telling the reader, if you and I sin, after you know what Jesus Christ has done for you, there's nothing else that exists where you can find forgiveness then. You can't go anywhere else. Once you've received the knowledge of the truth that Jesus offered one sacrifice Himself once for all, the idea is then, why would you go back and stand in line with your goat? Why then would you trust in the sacrifice of a bull or a goat? It won't accomplish anything. Therefore, it remains no other sacrifice. You don't need then to go and light candles or ride a bike or give more, or do more, or anything that you would do. The only thing that remains. You want to pursue that? Well, guess what? It's a certain fearful judgment. But again, understand this in principle. It also means that anyone who comes to understand what Jesus has done to know the gospel and yet you still live in refusal of that? It is a warning that you can find yourself in a place of judgment outside of God's grace. If you continue to live in a regular, habitual lifestyle of sin with no regard to what Christ has done for you, it is the same as rejecting what Christ has done for you. See, professing Christ is not the same as possessing Christ. What can be expected? That's verse 27. Verse 27 goes on to tell us to reject Jesus is to then choose judgment because a certain fearful expectation, that's what you can expect. Judgment. And, and notice it's the fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Gang, God is a God of mercy. God is a God of compassion. God is a God who forgives. God is a God of love. The Bible says that God is willing that none of us would perish, but all would come to repentance. But yet God is a God of righteousness. God is a God of holiness. God is a God of purity. God is a God of wrath, and He is a God of judgment. And this verse reminds us of that truth. But who, are the, who is judgment reserved for? Notice it says the adversaries of God. It are those who oppose Him. 
those who live contrary to His Word, to His promises. And Jesus said, if you are not with me, you are against me. Matthew 12.30. You know, there are those who the Spirit is drawing. And maybe that's you. Here's a warning. And inside that warning, it's, a, it's really a warning of preparation. It's a warning that God would say, do not delay. Don't delay. I do believe the Bible teaches that once the last person comes to faith, then Christ is going to come back. He's not going to leave anybody behind. But maybe that's you. You can do all of us a favor and come to Jesus, and then we can go home. <laughs> Romans 2.4 says, the Amplified Version, do you, not, do you have no regard for the wealth of His kindness, tolerance and patience, to understand that God is withholding His wrath? Are you aware or ignorant of the fact that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. It's God's love, it's His mercy that brings really a heart change. To repent from our old way of living, our old way of thinking, to seek His purposes. Listen, gang, understand, the warning is stern and it's sober, but God, God's heart for us isn't that He wants to scare you out of hell. It, it can be Gary is H-E double hockey sticks, right? But we can't come to the Lord thinking, oh, Jesus is just merely a get-out-of-hell free card. It is when we come to realize we are sinners. There is no other sacrifice that remains. There's nothing else we can do. And yet Christ has provided everything for us. We, when we come to realize that even when we were sinners, God loved you and He demonstrated that for you. When we come to the place where you're you're overwhelmed then by the mercy of God and the love of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God. Well, God is just, but God is loving. That's what the Lord wants to bring us to. But the writer doesn't mix or mince his words. He tells us very plainly. And he gives this example in verse 28. He says, you know, if anyone had rejected Moses' law, dies without mercy in the testimony of two or three witnesses. Then he asks, how much worse the punishment do you think for the person, and I'll amplify it, who's rejected Jesus, and he equates it to trampling underfoot the Son of God, treated the blood of this covenant by which that person sanctified as something common and insulted the Spirit of grace. Man, that's, that's a heavy indictment. And, and what the writer does, as he's done before, he's saying, listen, this isn't just my conjecture, my fanciful thinking. I'm not just trying to scare you. This is scriptural. This is biblical. This is what the Bible tells us. And he gives this a quick history lesson of the Mosaic Law. And they, they'd get it. Again, they'd know. If anyone committed a capital crime under the Mosaic law, there was no appeal process. There was no plea for mercy. You're guilty, you're condemned. And so the writer asks this rhetorical question. If that was the case for something that God designed to be temporary, that it, if, that, if you violated the shadow how much more than if you reject the substance? The actual person of Christ and what He's done? You know, the idea of trample underfoot, it means to treat it like trash. That phrase appears in several you know, parts of the Bible. If salt has lost its saltiness, what do they do? Well, they just throw it on the ground and they trample underfoot. It's worthless. It's no good. It's the idea of... People treat the gospel that way. Or to count the blood of Jesus as a common thing. 
You know, it's a strange thing if you really think about it for us as followers of Christ. When we talk about the blood of Christ, I think for the, for the non-believer, it's a weird thing. I remember coming to church and people were singing about the blood of Jesus. Pour out your blood. You're like, that's, that's kind of a weird thing. But we come to understand it spiritually, right? We, 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 we sing about the blood of Jesus. We understand the, the power of it and the, the, the beauty of it, what it means for us. And yet there are those who scorn it and they mock it. And so that's what he's talking about here. To insult the spirit of grace. It doesn't just mean to grieve the spirit. But it means to live in denying that Jesus is the Savior. That is to insult the spirit of grace. And we we see people, don't we? They can be so pompous and so arrogant against God, against the Bible, against Jesus, against His people. And there are times, man, it makes me mad. Like, I feel like I want to go fight them. I want to go tell them how stupid they are. They don't know what they're saying. But I have to remember verse 30. God is a righteous judge. God is one who says, I will repay. Vengeance is mine. The Lord will judge. And so I can trust that God will settle all unequal accounts at the end. That those who deserve theirs will get theirs. Maybe that person, God sees them greater than I can see them because I, I can't see all the intent of their heart. And I have to remember that at one point I was like that person. And so I don't know, are they ignorant or are they really arrogant? See, I don't know, but God knows. We don't know, but the Lord knows. He's a righteous, faithful, exacting judge. He will give rightful judgment and rightful reward. And by the way, in that, I also then, we can find some comfort in that. What can be scary for some people can be comforting for us. If we have the knowledge of truth. Just like typhoon warnings. For some people, they don't know. It can be scary. They freak out. They run to the commissary. They have 15 shopping carts. For other results, they're like, yeah, we know. And by the way, that is true for all injustices we experience on this side of eternity. This knowledge, right? Because we can trust the Lord. One day, He will make all wrong things right. And that's comforting for us. Because there are times we feel like we've been wronged. Or there's injustice in this world. We get angry. We don't like it. We're going to learn that some of that happened to them, the Hebrews. And yet they persevered, they endured, because they had the knowledge of this truth. Gang, this passage is a wake-up call. It's a warning for us to take spiritual inventory. To ask the question and answer the question, what, where's your heart today? Where's your walk with the Lord? What is your relationship with Jesus like? Are you producing fruit? N- not just the things that you know how you, what to say, but really, where's your walk, your life? Your affections, your attention, your time? Or you and I just try and rely on our self-righteousness. Understand this too, to reject Jesus is to choose judgment, but it doesn't have to be this way. It's the kindness of God to be overwhelmed with His loving goodness that He wants then to draw you to repentance. Unto salvation, and for some of us, really just unto sanctification. We begin to drift and wander, God doesn't change the deal. It's still to be overwhelmed by His grace. We would get on track. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You, Lord, that You are righteous and You are loving. God, for some that will be alarming, and for others it's very comforting to know that You will make all things right. It's good for us, Lord, to 
pause today and just take a little bit of inventory of where we're at. Lord, if we know you and we follow you, we know it's not that we're be in danger of condemnation, but Lord, we want to continue and to grow in grace and love. Lord, for others who maybe they're unsure, today they're hearing the gospel and just their light bulb has come on for the first time, if you will. If that's you, if there's anybody here this morning and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love to pray with you and for you. And if that is you, by faith, you can just raise your hand real high and say, Pastor Rick, that's me. I need the Lord in my life today. You can raise your hand right now and pray with you and for you. Anybody? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you for the gift that you've given us of salvation. As we were reminded chapters earlier, Lord, help us not to neglect such great a gift. That we would grow in it, in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Man, I love you guys. Have a great day.